online if that's you um, and all of us. You can open your Bible to John 15 and I'm going to invite Tom to come on up and read the text to us. We're going to be in John 15, 1 through 11 again. Sometimes I hate growing old, you know. But on the other hand, I get to watch the grandchildren grow up, so that's pretty neat. John 15, 1 to 11. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he pruneth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me... And my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Thank you, sir. All right, so John 15, 1 through 11, again, is where we're going to be. Those of you in the booth, I have control of the slides. I don't know if you're still wondering that. There's a thumbs up. All right. So last week, uh, we saw the, the first part of this where um, we remembered how Jesus talked about himself as the vine were the branches. He gives this picture of, what was it in your translation, Tom, the hu- husbander? Hu- husband? Yeah, so husbandry is an old word for like farming. Uh, and so in this metaphor that Jesus gives us in this text, uh, we see that God is the gardener and uh, we are the branches and Jesus is the vine. And this week, uh, Trish gave me a book uh, that she remembered she had from Charles Stanley, I think it was, and it was some devotional thoughts on this. And uh, he talked about the Holy Spirit being the sap that runs between the branch and the vine. I thought that was a really uh, good idea. Now, last week we talked 
uh, as we said, that Jesus is speaking here to his disciples. Now, I like to go over this once in a while because it's a good reminder, um, but I think it helps us with our discussion today as well. If you have a really keen memory of my sermons, you might remember that I've mentioned before that the Hebrew word that gets translated into the word disciples uh, for us, the word that probably Jesus might have used had he been speaking uh, Hebrew then, although he, he spoke Aramaic, but if he would have used this word, it's the word Talmud or Talmudim is the word from multiple. And so these men are Talmudim of Jesus. Jesus is a rabbi. They are his Talmudim. That's kind of the setup here. Now, this word Talmud is a word that basically means learner, right? We've talked about how to be a disciple of Jesus is that you are a learner. And we tend to think of learning in sort of enlightenment uh, standards, right? Meaning intellectual gathering of knowledge. But that's not the only kind of knowing that there can be. So let me give you the example that was given to me by a professor in college that has stuck with me uh, because I am an animal lover and this really stuck in my head because he talked about kittens. So he said, there's two different ways you can know a kitten, right? The intellectual kind of way we're talking about that we tend to think of as knowledge, as learning, is for you to uh, get a kitten that has unfortunately passed away and, and, and take it and do an autopsy on the kitten, right? You open the kitten up, you look, and, oh, there's the veins, there's, right? And I had the same reaction I could see your faces you're having, like, what? Oh, it's a kitten, what? Right? But you would know this kitten, right? That's one way to know. There's a whole other way to know your kitten, which is what? You learn, you, you, you love the kitten, you pet the kitten, you know right where they like to be scratched, you know exactly what kind of food they like to eat, right? I have a cat at home, his name is Mr. Bean. Uh, he came with that name and I loved it, so we kept it. And I know Mr. Bean, I, I know where he likes to be scratched behind his left ear. He just likes that. He likes to lay in the window and look out at the birds, right? And, and so that's another way of knowing. And both of those are important. And we tend to, unfortunately, emphasize the one, meaning sort of the book-learning intellectual side, at the expense of the other. In fact, in our own church mission statement, we say that as a church, we exist for this, to glorify Jesus Christ by making disciples, making Talmudim, through gospel-saturated worship, community, and mission, so there's this learning idea there, right? And if we take time, if we take the next step that we've taken where we sort of define what a disciple is, when we say the word disciple here, here's what we mean. A, a disciple, and, and this is important, if our mission is wrapped up in making disciples to the glory of God the Father by Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit, then it's important for us to know what we mean by that word, right? Because you could, you could give 10 good definitions for what a disciple of Jesus is. I've heard a bunch of them. But a disciple is a person who's trusted in and who is learning to be and do like Jesus by worshiping him, living in community with other disciples, and being on mission in the world. That's what these posters are about. That's what the words mean behind me. So right there, we see that connection between being a disciple, being a Talmudim of Jesus, and being a person who is always in this state of learning. Both, right, I recommended Bible dictionaries to you a couple weeks ago. So both the intellectual learning, but also the sort of personal knowledge that we gain when we have relationship. Learning to be with Jesus, learning to be like Jesus and to do what Jesus did or would do if he was us. But even with all this work, disciple is still a word that's kind of foreign to us. And so we've said that another modern word, which maybe is helpful to us, is the word apprentice, right? Now, don't think of the show. Think, think of the, the, the real sense of what an apprentice is. Many of us understand in at least a basic way a little bit more about what an apprentice does more than a disciple. That's not a word we use so very often. 
in our modern day, most often apprentices are seen in what? The building trades, right? You go into an apprenticeship to become uh, an electrician, a plumber, a, a carpenter, whatever it is, an HVAC tech, right? Yeah. So, and really, this is a very good way to think about our apprenticeship to Jesus, because what does an apprentice do in the trades? Let's say you're going to be an apprentice carpenter. You want to be a carpenter, so now you're an apprentice. What are you going to do? You're going to spend all your time with a master carpenter, and you're going to do what he does. You're probably going to eat a lot of the same things he ate, because you're just with him on the job site, right? You're going to learn everything in this guy's life. And so, in Jesus' time, an apprentice was a person who was not just following a teacher's teaching, but following a teacher's way of life. And so not only would they listen to the teaching of their teacher, the rabbi, right? And Jesus has plenty of examples of this. The most famous is the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but they would also follow his actual way of living. So if, if you hear athletes talk, you'll hear them say, like, I, you know, I'm a basketball player and Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. Don't even talk to me about LeBron. Michael's the best. Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. So in order to be like Mike, right, what did we do? We bought his shoes. I bought his shoes as kids. It's got to be the shoes, right? And so we do everything that Michael Jordan does to be like Michael Jordan. And that's the idea. That's what we're getting at as Talmudim. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We do what Jesus did. We spend time with Jesus. We don't just listen to his teaching, but as we're going to see, we actually do also the things he did. And I, and I want, uh, what I want to do today is, is look at the most important part of doing what Jesus did, which leads to doing any of the other stuff that Jesus did, uh, d- doing any of the other stuff that Jesus did in a way that actually works to give God glory and bring you what God wants for you. Because you can do things for Jesus and burn yourself out if you're not connected to him. But what he's inviting you into is to do things with him, to live with him in the world as he is renewing. So back to the text. Jesus uses this word picture of the vine and the branches, and I am a church kid, so I can't help but think of the song, right? He's the vine, we're the branches. I'm not going to do the dance. And he says that what God is after in that, that God who is the gardener in this word picture, what he is after, we said this last week, is to bear much fruit. God's not interested in just leaves on the, on the, on the grapevine. He wants grapes. He wants fruit and much fruit. So, so God wants more for us than we realize many times, right? God wants, to, wants us to experience life with him, life with his life in us, which is, I would argue, a life of joy, love, and peace. This is what we call the fruit of the Spirit, according to the Apostle Paul, who wrote about those three things later and expounded on them. He said, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Those are just more specific versions of love, joy, and peace, right? That, that's what God is after in your life, and that's a good life. I want a life lived with the divine presence in my life, with the, the God of the universe giving his life to me, which leads to a life of joy, love, and peace. That sounds, that's good. I want that. So a life filled with the fruit of Jesus in our soul and in our body and in our mind is what God wants for all of us. And in this word picture here that Jesus is talking about, that means bearing much fruit. So if we're going to bear fruit, which is what God wants for us, how do we get there? Does it just happen to us? In a sense, yes. But in another sense, no. Is there, is there some effort we have to make? And so the answer to both of those, is it effort or is it something that happens to us, is yes. It's both. Look at what Jesus says is the way to this fruit. Look back at verses 4 and 5 specifically. 
Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now that is the lie that we believe, that we can bear fruit apart from Jesus, right? We think we can. Yeah, 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 yeah. But if I just read more Bible apart from abiding in Jesus, I'll get the same results. And Jesus is saying, no, you can't bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine. I am the life source. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I read in that book I was telling you about earlier uh, a quote where basically he said that Christians, we were not made to produce the fruit. We were made to bear the fruit. And it's the Holy Spirit that produces the fruit in us. The, the Spirit of Christ through us that produces fruit. So, so in, that, in, in that verses 4 and 5 there, what's the verb? What's the action word? What is the thing that Jesus says, do this? What does he say? Now, the action word there in that text is the word that we get translated as the word abide. Okay, now I'm going to ask you to say a Greek word. You ready? The word abide is the Greek word minote. Go ahead. I mean, more energy would be good, but you did it, okay? So there's two things about this word that I want to show you that I think are almost the exact opposite of what the world is telling us about ourselves and about the world. And, and if we grasp what it is that, that our world is telling us, the lies that they're telling us, I think we'll see how this is all connected. And my hope is that you begin to see that the fruit that God wants for us is way better, it's a better fruit. It's a better dream than the, the way of this world. So abiding is two things. First, it's connection. Okay, Just in verse 5 that we looked at, Jesus used the word abide. Right? He says, abide in me and I in you. So just from that verse, based on the definition of, of that word that we just learned, uh, it's pretty clear that what Jesus wants to do is to stay connected to him. Right, Connect with him. So that's the first part of abiding. It's a connection to Jesus. It's being, being plugged into Jesus' life with him. It's in Eugene Peterson, the, the, the late great pastor, teacher, any of his books I would recommend that you read. Uh, he, he said that abiding is an intimate and organic relationship. You stay in it. You're connected to it. So, so here's what this connection uh, aspect of abiding means for us in our world. If we want to bear the fruit in our lives that God wants for us, the fruit of love, joy, and peace, and you'll see throughout Christian history, this is known as the triumvirate, the, the three things that define what it means to be a Christian, love, joy, and peace, then we're going to have to disconnect from the world and its story. We can't connect there and expect this fruit. We're going to have to disconnect from the world and its story and intentionally, and what that means is on purpose, connect to Jesus. It's grace-driven effort, right? So, so here's why this is so hard. It's probably harder, I think, than it's maybe ever been in human history to do that. Why? Because we all carry these around. And I used to think, well, this is mostly a young person's problem, but everybody's got these now, right? Everybody's, some of us are really good at these, and so we lose hours in these because we're so good at it. And some of us struggle with these, so we lose hours in it because we're trying to make it do one thing. And it takes us five hours, right? But all of us are being trapped by this a little bit. And so I think it might be harder than it's ever been in human history because, because of this is an example, but, but we're living in a world that is actively working in ways to steal your attention, our world is actively working to steal your attention from you, and that might be the most valuable thing you have, the attention you give. 
Your presence in the moment with something is the most valuable thing that you might have, right? So the biggest example is social media consumption. So when we think about social media or even, uh, I would argue, even cable news for some of us, right? Uh, when, When you think about those platforms, what is the product? We've talked about this before. What's being sold? It's not the news or the social media platform. You're being sold. Your attention is the product. Your attention is the product. And so it's pretty easy to take the bait and be fooled into thinking that the product is the thing you're using, but actually that is the platform by which your attention can be sold. That's the trick. And so the owners of these platforms, they're selling your attention. That's why you see ads, right? That's why all those platforms, that's why news on TV is free. Somebody's paying for that. And so your attention is being sold, and the phone that we so often use to access it, to pick on the phone, because I do think we should pick on it, and, and the network itself are literally engineered to make you addicted to them. This is not an accident for you. We, we've said this before, it's so huge that it bears repeating. Especially right now, our sensitivities are heightened, right, because of the historical moment we're in. And I find myself pulled more in because I want to know what's going on with the latest numbers and what happened here and what about this legislation that's going on, right? And that's not an accident that I'm feeling that pull. And so let's take this into our ideas of abiding and fruit, right? And so if the social media platforms and the phone manufacturers and the propaganda, I mean news, right, providers are intentionally creating some of you will get that later, are intentionally creating these things so that you'll become addicted, which we could say is the negative form of abiding. Right? Understand that. Then what is the fruit that it's producing in our lives and in our world? Now, we could go around and ask, uh, and it'd be kind of embarrassing, but we don't need to. There, there's enough research out there that we know what the fruit is that we're producing with this. All right? We know. I, I want to just read you some quotes from a few articles here to give you some ideas. So again, remember that abiding in Jesus produces the fruit that God wants for us. I would argue the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace, and all those other aspects of that. So then what does the life of abiding in the digital gods of our day produce? What does it produce? I'm going to read you just a few things. Here's one quote. Americans have become unwitting guinea pigs in today's huge, unplanned experiment with social media, and many are bearing much of the brunt. In conversation after conversation, people describe themselves as particularly vulnerable to the banes of our increasingly digital culture, with many people struggling to manage the constant connectedness of social media, the rising levels of anxiety, and the intense emotions that seem to be more and more present in them. Right? And that's, I see that. That's my experience in talking with people. So this article is saying that, that many people are having a hard time dealing with this reality that you always feel connected Some people call this being like a digital nomad. I'm always traveling and connected, but I'm not really ever home. And so it's making it harder to deal with the hard things in life. So remember, we said abiding in Jesus is staying connected to him, but these elements, your your phone, your TV, is constantly calling your attention to, to connect to other things, and that's leading to rising feelings of anxiety among people, which which sound the opposite of love, joy, and peace, right? Now, the article I'm quoting from is here mainly targeted at younger people, but, but this is my experience. What I'm seeing in my conversations with people and in talking with my neighbors and talking with many of you, that this is bleeding over into all the ages, right? It's not just like, oh, this is a problem just for teenagers. It is a problem for them, but it's bleeding over into all of us. 
Listen to this statistic. The nonprofit group Common Sense Media has found that many people, especially younger people, spend six to nine hours a day online. And that 7.2% of teens in particular felt manipulated by tech companies into remaining constantly connected. So if you're not sure if that's you, I would just challenge you, pull out the Screen Time app on your phone. Right? I do it on my phone, and it's kind of depressing sometimes. Like, man, I spent six hours a day? What was I looking? What was I even doing? Right? In 2011, that's 10 years ago now. Crazy. The American College Health Association reported that 31% of college freshmen said that they had experienced overwhelming anxiety or panic attacks by 2016. That had shot up to 62%. It's got to be higher now. I don't know what the number is, but that's crazy. How did this happen? So I want you to pay really close attention to this one. According to the Centers for Disease Control, pretty famous right now, um, in 1993, teens scored the highest levels of suicidal uh, thinking ever recorded in 1993. But from 1994 onward, rates of suicide steadily declined from 93 or from 94 until 2007 when rates of suicide skyrocketed. Now, does anybody know what happened in 2007? First iPhone. First iPhone. I'm not saying it's the cause. I'm not saying it's causation. But we have to wonder if there isn't correlation. Right? Are, are these connected so so and this is i'm this is this part of the sermon i'm preaching to myself now okay i just had this conversation with my wife this morning like man i really got to get back into some different rhythms i can feel it you know one of the worst things you can do for your sleep and and i would argue from my own experience even your soul is to sleep with your phone next to you why because it's designed to pull you in look at me look at me maybe you got a notification maybe somebody sent you a text Maybe there was an emergency. And in the middle of the night, I find myself rolling over to just like habitually look at it for no reason. Why? It's designed to do that to me. And so until a few weeks ago, I'd been doing this for over a year, putting my phone downstairs in, in the living room to charge while I go upstairs and go to bed. So it's nowhere in. And some of you have texted me in the morning and wondered why I didn't text you back for an hour or two. That's why. But about four weeks ago, my little cheapo alarm clock that I got to replace having my phone there broke. So I started bringing my phone back upstairs. And as I was writing this week and seeing these stats again, I've gone back to keeping my phone downstairs. Why? Well, how many of us, right, you get up in the middle of the night, you just have that temptation to look. And so we tell ourselves, oh, well, maybe there's an emergency. This is a kind of abiding that we don't even realize we're participating in. And this is not the good kind that we want, not, not the kind that leads to the fruit that God wants us to bear a lot of. I can't tell you that I've ever checked my phone in the middle of the night and then the next morning woke up and thought, man, I'm so glad I did that. I just feel full of life and peace. Right? It doesn't work that way. Listen to this, this one. This is a hard one. I really don't like this quote as a pastor. In a sense, modern people are never truly alone and never truly with others, right? We, the classic example is the couple that's out to eat, and they're not talking to each other. They're looking at their phones, right? And yesterday, I, my wife got on me. I was at bowling with my family, and I was looking at my phone, and she was like, hey, you want to talk to us, right? And so I needed that. In fact, a 2018 National Health Survey by Cigna reported the highest levels of loneliness on record, and yet we're more connected than we've ever been. What is that? that? That's not what God wants for us. Now, let me just end this part with a quote from another 
article that I found to be in line really well with what we are actually talking about. This is from a young woman who feels like she knows that being connected this way is not good for her, but she can't stop herself, right? Every night I find myself scrolling mindlessly for longer than I want to, and then I go to bed feeling unhappy, and then I wake up and do all the same things the next day. Like, I could have wrote that. I could have wrote that. So, so why would I quote all this gloom and doom to you, right? Well, part of my role as pa- part of the role of being a pastor, uh, being a, the, part of the family of this church that my job is to stand up and say this kind of stuff to you is to be, I think, a voice of reminder of what's true, even when we maybe don't want to hear it. And what's true in this regard is that the world we live in is not neutral. Like, th- this stuff is not neutral, the world we live in, the world of being constantly connected is having an effect on us. You are being discipled by it. And so I think the reason that these huge companies are able to so easily make these devices and social platforms so addicting is that we were actually made for this. We were made by God for connection. You were made to be connected to God and to one another. We were made to abide, but because of sin, both our own sin and hear me, the sins that have been committed against you that have, that have devastated you and hurt you so much, we end up abiding in the wrong things because we were meant for that. And so we bear the kind of fruit that God doesn't want for our lives, not the kind that God intended, not the fruit of love, joy, and peace. So the first part is that abiding is connection. So that means you have to intentionally fight these other connections and connect with Jesus. And now the second part, when, when you're connected, what we need to abide uh, is because there's so much life to be there. So abiding is, is connection. It's connection to Jesus, and then that connection leads to the second aspect, which is simply receiving life. Receiving life. Right? Connecting to Jesus, receiving life. That's what the whole vine metaphor in John 15 is about. A branch can only live if it's connected to a vine, and it's receiving the life of the vine. But, but as we've said last week, the point of branches is not the branches. The point of branches is what? Fruit. And so God's intention for you to receive life is not just that you would have life, but that in his life in you, that life would flow out into the fruit of love, joy, and peace that ends up enriching and enlivening the lives of other people around you. And I would even argue of the creation as a whole. And so unless we consistently receive the life of Jesus, we will start to wither spiritually. You will. It's not maybe, it's how long. It will happen. This is life or death for us spiritually. Now remember Jesus' words as an encouragement. You are already clean. You're in the family. That's not what's up for grabs here. This isn't whether you're kicked out of the family or not. It's whether or not you grow into what God wants for you. All right, and you guys know this little secret. Life is hard, right? Life is tough. It's been tough for the last 15 months or whatever it's been in a specific way. There's going to come a day, maybe some of you are sitting here thinking this right now, that I'm spent. I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm tired of this. I'm running out of gas emotionally, spiritually, maybe even physically you're beginning to feel it. Some of us are thinking that. And what I'm trying to tell you is that unless you're connecting with the vine, you will not have the life that Jesus meant for you. And, and at the same time, you're a whole person. If you're feeling tired physically, take a nap. Right? Connect with Jesus through your sleep. Take 
care of your whole person, but unless you are connecting with Jesus who came to give you life and not just any life, he came to give you life to the full, a life filled with his love, his joy, and peace. Unless you're doing that, you will not have that life. And so another way to put it is that Jesus, uh, Jesus means for us to be, as we've said, that non-anxious presence in the world. And that only happens by abiding in him. Philippians 2.13 says that God works in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. That word that's translated as God works is a Greek word, dunamis, that means energy, power, where we get the word dynamite from. God the Holy Spirit, the sap in the vine, if you will, energizes us to will and to act according to his good purposes, which is to bear fruit in our lives. So Jesus' call to abide in him is a standing invitation to be spiritually re-energized. And Jesus knows that life with him for us is a life of fits and starts. Right? It's not a life of perfect following him every day, but it's a life where we, man, we're doing great for a while, and then we kind of, oh, man, things happen. And I, you know... Uh, baby in the house now, so I'm not sleeping as much as I was, which means I'm kind of crabby, which means I don't spend as much time in the Word as I should, but I'm reminded Jesus says, abide in me. Abide in me. And so maybe you haven't experienced it a ton yet, but, and maybe it's a reminder for you. Maybe you're realizing, right, the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, you're, kind of, you know, you're, you're not abiding as much as you could be. Come back. But, but spending time with God changes us. It does change us. And, and I've lived just long enough now to, to be able to look back and go, I've, I can look back on myself when I am doing that and see a big difference between what I feel like I'm experiencing in myself right now. Like you notice how you have a different outlook and a different attitude when you've spent time with God. You're just, you're just not as rushed. You're not as hurried. You're not as quick to snap at people. You're kinder. You're a little more patient. You're a little more sensitive to what's underneath what somebody is saying. But why do you think that happens? Because the spirit and the life of Jesus is flowing into you and out to others. It's what Jesus is talking about here. When we spend time with him, when we abide, we receive spiritual life from him that changes us. It transforms us, as the scriptures say, from one degree of glory to another. It's him by the Holy Spirit changing you. The life of the vine nourishes the branch gives its own life and makes it flourish and bear much fruit, as Jesus said. Now, I spent, you, many of you know this, I spent about 10 years or so in student ministry, and I noticed that if there's one thing that's just as important or maybe even more important than the phone of a student is the charger of that phone, okay? So I took a group of students to Kansas City for life, uh, the youth conference in our denomination, and on the airplane... Uh, one of the girls realized that she didn't have her phone charger. She forgot it. Panic. Sheer panic, right? Now, her phone wasn't actually dead at that moment. It was still pretty full. And this wasn't that long ago, so batteries were still pretty good. But it was like we were watching the battery life just die and die. And, of course, she couldn't not look at it, so she kept opening it and see how much battery. And we were like, if you stop looking at it, it'll last longer. Right? But she couldn't stop, which kind of illustrates the point. Right, And so the phone is slowly dying, and, and, and everyone in our group was kind of getting a running, running commentary uh, on how her battery percentage was. Like I was in one seat next to some boys on the plane, and I could hear this going like, oh, it's down to 10%. Pastor Jeff, what am I going to do? Right, And I'm thinking, 
you might read your Bible more this week, right? Uh, and so apart from that phone charger, that phone is going to be worth pretty much nothing. It's like a $900 paperweight, right? And so Jesus is saying in this text, apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from staying connected to him so that we can receive the life we need, we can do nothing. There's freedom in that. You can't do anything apart from Jesus, which means you don't have to do anything apart from Jesus. He's inviting you into life with him. We have to stay connected. We have to keep abiding. This isn't a once and for all thing. We have to stay plugged in. And the reality for a lot of us is that we're very, very good at abiding and staying constantly connected to a lot of things. But for some reason, we have to work on this. We're connected to a lot of things besides the one thing. We're, we're like the story where Jesus tells uh, the woman, there's one thing that's important, and it, it's being with me, right? Uh, abiding in Jesus brings us the life that we're actually seeking in all those other things that aren't working. So now that we've gotten to this point, if you're like me, maybe you ask, okay, but what do I actually do? What, what do I do? Well, this is what Christians have called, and we've talked about this before, spiritual disciplines, there are a bunch of them. Uh, all that spiritual disciplines are is practices that we choose to engage in, right? So if you're married, one of the practices for your, the, the, the good of your marriage is to have some kind of date night. Might be at Costco. <laughs> uh, might, it might be at a nice restaurant. That's an, I saw them there yesterday while I was having my uh, you know, crazy Saturday afternoon at Costco. Um, so... There are disciplines that we choose to engage in, right? As a, as a dad, I want to have a great relationship with my kids, so that means I choose to take time out of my life to stop what I'm doing and spend time with them. Why? Because that's more valuable to me than other things I do in my life anyway. That, like, what else could be more satisfying than to know that I've passed on my values and my faith to another generation, right? So I make time for that. That's a practice, and so spiritual disciplines are the practices that we choose to engage in that are based on the life of Jesus that help us to abide in Jesus. Some of them are about what we don't do. Some of them are about what we do. Okay? So an example is service. Jesus served others. If we want to be like our rabbi, we should serve others. So we should do the same thing. Now, just this is a total side plug here, but if you're looking for a place to serve others, come talk to me. We've got stuff we can do around here. We need help in just restarting children's ministry. In the tech, we need help with maybe somebody being a copywriter for me when I send out emails that have misspellings every week that my wife points out to me. But all of those things take intention to participate in, right? We always can use help with this building. Like there, there's things that can be done around this building that uh, you know I just don't have time to do, but I would love to have done. Those are ways that you can participate in serving. All of those take intention and, and time, and so you have to show up and serve if that's the spiritual practice you are engaging in. About it, painting walls or cleaning bathrooms can be a way that you abide in Jesus as you think on Him and remember Him and do it out of His life. But, but for our purposes today, and let me just say this as a personal aside, again, I need, this is a reminder for me. I wrote this for me, and you just get to listen. I'm noticing in myself over the last week or so that I am paying a little bit too much attention, a little bit too much attention for the good of my own soul. I'm paying too much attention to the news cycle and particularly COVID numbers. 
Like, I'm not saying don't pay attention, but I'm paying too much attention if I'm honest about it. Oh no, it's up to three something percent. What's that going to mean? What's going to happen here? None of which I can control anyway. And it just produces the fruit of anxiety. And I'm a little bit snippy with my family and it doesn't do any good for anybody. And so I can just feel the fruit of that wrong kind of abiding creeping up. And so what I need is this reminder. And so you're, you're going to get the same reminder. The main spiritual practice that we see throughout the history of Christianity, Jesus practiced it himself. The history of people learning to be and do like him, their main practice is the practice of daily silence and solitude. And I don't mean while you're asleep. Okay, intentional time to be in prayerful, quiet solitude, centered around the scriptures, right? I've taught the SOAP method here before. If you don't know what that is, you can go to hearingtogether.com. A friend of mine built that website. It'll teach you all about it. It means scripture, observation, application, and prayer. It's a way to read the scriptures and study them and abide in Jesus through them. But the technique is not as important as the intention. Jesus just is inviting us. We abide in him. Ab- abide in me, he says. And he leaves it up to us and the leading of that Holy Spirit in the community of faith to figure out what that means. So whether you use soap or some other method, what's important is that you make the time and the space for it. Okay? I know how easy it is, easy it is for everything else to crowd in. Right now, it's hard in our house. It's hard. I don't know how my wife abides in Jesus at all, but she does. I mean, I can see the fruit of it. We have a baby in the house again, so finding quiet time is a challenge, right? Between feeding and diapers and the other uh, daughter needing feeding and helping potty stuff and all that. Jesus is inviting us into something that leads to life, though. And you know what? I've tasted that life before. I've tasted that life before. I remember what it was like when I had a really strong practice of abiding. I remember the patience that I was surprised with in my own self. Like, wow, I didn't get upset. I thought I was going to get upset there, but I didn't. What is that? That's the fruit of the Spirit. And so what, what does it look like? Well, I do think it has to be scheduled. I do think you have to be intentional about this, at least to start. Get, get, get this time set aside and protect it. Right to get really practical for again preaching to myself, but maybe for you, shut your phone off, shut your computer off, shut your TV off, put it in another room, and just be still with yourself and the Spirit in you. Start small, work your way up. You can't overdo time with Jesus. You can't because if you start spending more time with Jesus, you're going to have more wisdom to know how much time you should be spending anyway. So. You know, no one's going to come and tell me, well, I spent so much time with Jesus. I just lost my job and I lost my family. No, because Jesus gives you wisdom if it's Jesus you're really spending time with, right? So start small, work your way up. Maybe read a psalm a day for a while. Maybe read the Gospels one at a time in little chunks. There's a million Bible reading plans. We, we handed out a Bible reading plan at the beginning of the year. You can still jump in on that. I, I'll give you copies. I'll send you the PDF. I'll print it for you. Whatever you need, just pick something in faith and protect it. And then I do think in our world, in our moment, there is something to be said for intentional, longer times when maybe we take a break from certain aspects of our information-driven worlds. Uh, Last summer, a few of us took a break from social media. Maybe you remember that. I, I, I think we talked about it while we were sitting outside. Right? And we took a break from social media. Maybe you need to take a break from social media. Maybe you need to take a break from the news. Maybe you need to take a break from whatever it is that's drawing you in. 
Maybe you can take a break from any form of listening while you're driving in your car. You drive in your car a lot? What a perfect time to just be still. Get creative, but get to abiding. Get creative, but get to it. Jesus is there inviting you. Pursue this life with him because he will not disappoint. If you want to bear fruit, and I, and I just, if I was a betting man and I'm not, I would bet a million dollars that if I asked every one of you, do you want to bear the fruit of the Spirit? All of us would say, yeah, of course. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, right? Self-control. I want all those things. And so if you want those, you have to abide. And what we're saying is that abiding is two things, connecting with Jesus and receiving his life through that connection. That's the invitation. That's always the invitation. Jesus is always inviting, never condemning, inviting. You, you haven't done it for six months? Man, come and see what you're missing out on. It's not about guilt. It's about invitation. Let me just end by reading a long quote to you. I got this from a book, uh, the same book that Trish gave me. It's, a, it's actually a quote from a book written by Charles Stanley where he's quoting Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary uh, to China. And so if you read his life story, you'll see this man knew about abiding. He had to know. He had to know something about abiding in Christ. Listen to his words here. How does the branch bear fruit? Not by incessant effort for sunshine and air, not by vain struggles for those vivifying influence which give beauty to the blossom and verdure to the leaf. It simply abides in the vine in silent and undisturbed union and blossoms and fruit appear as of spontaneous growth. How then shall a Christian bear fruit? By efforts and struggles to obtain that which is freely given? By meditations on watchfulness or prayer or on, on prayer, on action, on temptation and on dangers? No. There must be a full concentration of the thoughts and affections on Christ, a complete surrender of the whole being to Him, a constant looking to Him for grace. Christians in whom these dispositions are once firmly fixed go on calmly as the infant born in the arms of its mother. Christ reminds them of every duty in its time and place, reproves them for every error, counsels them in every difficulty, excites them to every needful activity. In spiritual as in temporal matters, they take no thought for the morrow, for they know that Christ will be accessible tomorrow as today, and that time imposes, and that time imposes no barrier on his love. Their hope and trust rest solely on what he is willing and able to do for them, on nothing that they suppose themselves able and willing to do for him. Their talisman for every temptation and sorrow is their oft-repeated childlike surrender of their whole being to Him. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, we ask for Your life in us. We ask for maybe just, just the, the, enough prompting that we would begin to pursue abiding if we're not and pursue abiding more if we already are. There's always room for more abiding in Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, would you, would you enliven us to that? Would you make us aware of the ways that we're abiding in so many other things that we're connecting to and receiving from so many things that are not leading to the life that you want from us? And would you give us the strength and the boldness to intentionally take time to, to say no to other things so that we can say yes to Jesus and so that his invitation to us, we can take up and bear his fruit. And so we ask these things that you would prompt us, Holy Spirit, to abide in Jesus for the glory of God our Father. We pray this in his name. Amen.